So that was the Zatopex with even Zatopex Cry and the Steinways with Dear Girl. Off air, you were saying you were thinking of a couple other bands you'd like to give shout outs to. Well, there's this one uh, at the, that played at the fest last summer. Not the, the Gainesville Fest. No, people. not the, the Poser Fest. I mean, yes, the, the, right. the, the Krusty Beardo Fest that, that I'm actually going to uh-huh. go to this year to celebrate my birthday. They're having it on my birthday again. Uh, but but the Baltimore legendary Baltimore yes, Insubordination Fest, which was one of the probably one of the greatest events of the 21st century so far. Statement should be dripping with sarcasm, but for some reason it's not. It's not at all. <laughs> I, I used to talk that way about Gilman in in, the, in 1987, and that's exactly how it felt was being there with all these people and all these incredible bands, and it was just like magical three days anyway there's this band from ohio called delay which i actually was somewhere down the street and never even heard play but when i got back everybody was just like dripping with sweat and raving yeah, about how great super they were high energy and i have like a, a recording of them that's like not the top quality recording but you know i may be wrong but just listening to the recording i have i have a sense that this is a really great band I, and mm-hmm. I have I still have not seen them live I just have a feeling that I'm oh, going to be oh they're much better live than they are on record well that's the funny thing because these guys were having this discussion about like yeah Delay are great but their recordings aren't so great and then somebody said oh yeah but that's part of their charm you know we like them that way and I thought geez if you know if you were a computer programmer and said you know it's part of your charm that you know you keep it simple so you should only like work on a commodore 64 when you do your programming i mean you'd like say what are you whack music seems to be one field that where it's yeah like i have to record it on like an eight track and and, and with a wind up uh machine and you know it's like because that keeps it real man it's the, the same thing with this whole vinyl fetish and all but i like vinyl but as just as a yeah, as a side note, we are actually it, recording for the first time on Pro Tools. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem if people like to keep old media alive and all, but just to think that there's something somehow more punk or more or in, innately possessing more integrity about using old-fashioned recording techniques. Yeah, it's, it's, no. that's to me that's crazy. Anyway, I would like to not only see delay; I'd like to hear them. Uh, you know, recorded in a modern, you know, high-tech studio because I, I just had a sense that they'd be great. Also, the the copyrights, I, I was, I saw them about three or four years ago in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Maybe not that many. It was quite a, it was a while ago. And it was one of those kind of shows where, like, will pop punk survive the night, let alone the year? It was like a handful of us were sort of watching them in this kind of cold bar. And, and it was about, yeah, it was only a couple of years ago, but then I saw them at the fest last summer and they were just, Astounding! They had this great new record out, mm-hmm. and it was just a revelation the way the whole crowd came to life. <laughs> uh, so here is the other half of our first part of the conversation, and it is The Leftovers. I don't know the name of this track. It's off the new record. It's real good. And uh, here are these, after that, are the Spazzies with their song Zatapex, which is kind of interesting. If you look on iTunes, it's, uh, or whoever uploaded it, it's called 24 Topex.
So let's talk a little bit about Gilman and how it compares to this pop punk renaissance, you like to call it, in New York or even all around. You're trying to get your listeners riled up, aren't you? My listeners are always riled up. I think it's the frequency of my voice. It, it, it kills cats and gets people riled up. Well, I think there's probably only a handful, if that many, of people who are in any position to compare Gilman 1987 to New York 2007. Out of those, that handful, if there is that many, um, even fewer would probably like even see any reason to compare the two. But I'll go out on a limb and be the one who who does make that comparison that there's there's certain there is some certain similarities to the kind of energy and i know uh, the one thing i would think is maybe what new york feels like today is maybe like the year before gilman or when gilman was just like when we were building it when we were you know pounding all the nails into the walls and wiring it and mm-hmm. tearing up the floors to put toilets in and stuff that, and getting all excited because in a in a few months like this great new experimental club was going to open you know, not knowing what was going to happen, but just having this kind of sense that something something big was on the horizon. But don't you think that having that central meeting place and people being attracted to it grew that to the point that we don't have anything like that here in New York? And if anything, we've got clubs closing left and right. So I don't know if that dynamic will you bring perpetuate up, itself. You bring up two points there. Uh, clubs closing left and right... That was happening in the the Bay Area in the mid '80s too. Mm-hmm. In fact, I mean it's a it's something that I no longer even think about, let alone get upset over. People are always saying, "Oh, all the clubs are closing down." Yeah, and they always are. It's the nature of the business, right? You know, you know that Mr. T song about Gilman Street. It seems like only yesterday there's no place to go, nowhere to play, or however the words go. And that's exactly what it was like in 1985, '86 in the in the Bay Area. You know, it was basically underground shows wherever we could find a play a storefront or a, a pizza parlor that would let us play and after a couple shows usually the police would would be called or somebody would break something and that would be the end of that there was a spirit that kept people alive and kept people together you know it's it kind of the adversity of it all you know on the other hand this notion of having a physical space well I, when i was at college we studied this concept uh in, in sociology, uh, there's a book actually called Free Spaces, the notion that it's it's kind of like that field of dreams idea. You build it and they will come. Mm-hmm. That's, that's It is totally what happened with, with Gilman. You know, once there was a regular place where you could go and know that something would be happening, the bands came out of the woodwork. You know, every, every teenager within a 50-mile radius, it seemed like, was like, hey, I can be in a band and they'll, and they'll let me play there. And so why not? Right. So that that did have a an important role, but you know, in a, in a sense, Gilman came about because of this scene that had been bubbling under the surface for years beforehand. It was kind of like the old, the bad old days of the punk scene had to to kind of play themselves out in the early '80s, where you know the violence and the the anger and the the macho kind of stuff had to kind of sort of strangle itself. And, you know, a group of uh, younger, more energetic, more positive people had to come along and slowly start building something. And, you know, in a way, Gilman's opening was the culmination rather than the beginning of that scene. Hmm. That's an interesting point. Uh, and I think there's one more thing that's got to be touched on. It's just uh, since that time, you know, at that time, everything was done by, you know, writing letters the old fashioned way, by phone calls, by, uh-huh. you know, uh, 
There's, it's a different kind of world, you know. We have communities now that's, absolutely that that are that are linked around the whole world. That's and and much of our little scene here has managed to come about with, you know, with, often between people that have never even met each other but feel like they're they're bosom buddies because they've been connecting uh, electronically for 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 a few years. Like the fest last summer, I mean, a lot of people that were there extended clan clan or tribe uh thing where you know reunion of everybody and yet lots of these people had never even met in the flesh mm-hmm. and yet they knew each other they were they were they were brothers and sisters they were like they were together but the problem with that is you would need something quote unquote big to bring these people from all these different places together and that's why it's difficult and that's why i don't see it as so comparable to gilman just because you don't have that touch that feel that proximity that you're only going to get if something warrants an 8, 10, 12-hour drive or plane tickets. Let's just say we have a, a virtual Gilman now, and maybe in the future, if we're lucky, it'll, it'll manifest itself into, into one or more physical places. exactly what you were saying before of where these you know, 14-year-old kids would sit there and meet some other 14-year-old kid, and they decide to start a band, which you can't really do over the Internet. Yeah, you can. <laughs> Well, you can, but now well, with really your pro does. tools, you know, you can, you can, you can, you yes, can play you your guitar part could. here and somebody's playing their bass part in, in, in California. Sure. But uh, that doesn't really happen unless you're the postal service and you suck. But I, I don't know about that band, but, uh, <laughs> take my word for it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that as technology develops, I mean, I, I'm not saying I recommend this or that it's a thing to be idealized, but. I'm thinking it will be quite possible for people to to play is, music together. Uh, quite possible over the internet. Well, like, like look at this in the studio. Have you been in? Well, you've been in recording studios. Yeah, absolutely. You know how often there'll be like, especially in uh, big major label studios, the each member of the band will be like in a completely different yeah, room. Yeah, rooms. And you know what's the difference between that and having guy on on two different coasts uh, playing together uh, electronically. You know, once we got the bandwidth, uh, the, you know. Well, what, the bandwidth's what? there unless you're doing it, you know, real time, which there would just be so many other problems. But it, it to me, it, it, it lacks that camaraderie of being in a band. Yeah, but and, and some people think that it's not really music if it's not on vinyl. But, uh, you know, times change. Yeah, I agree with that. So let's actually go um, East Bay, then back to New York, and we will play Green Day with I Fought the Law and The Unlovables.
surprised he didn't already have it because he's seems like he, he's the kind of guy that would have every record that was ever made or every song at least well we were just recording so we won't tell you who that was about that was the unlovables with dance party for two your room 3 a.m and then after that was the lookouts with agape which you i think you agape need the, i think it is you would need the it's, tilde it, you the should know it's accent. greek it's, it's greek agape it's is greek. the way you would say it if it's greek agape which means love so there's but a, a little, special kind of love isn't it Brotherly um, love, isn't it? Or no, or no spiritual love. I think it no, is. not necessarily. That's not true. Um, you, it, it can be used for any type of love. I think that was a, that was written by our uh, our bass player Kane Kong, and I think he had just started uh, college at the time, and it probably was taking introductory philosophy class, which is probably where that title came from. So, talk to me about who else was on that track. Uh, that was the last recording session the Lookouts did. I, I sometimes half seriously say it's you know two thirds uh, lookouts and two thirds Green Day because well there was four people involved and two of them were in both of those bands. Uh, I, I just was uh, never that confident in my guitar playing abilities, so I had this uh, kind of tendency to try and recruit extra guitarists for lookouts recordings. I did uh, on the one we played earlier, Living Behind Bars. We had Tim Armstrong come in to do a lead and. This time for uh, our last 7-inch, I had uh, Billy Joe from Green Day come in. And I think that would be the first time that uh, Billy and uh, our drummer, Trey, uh, ever played music together, which would Pretty have... historic. Oh, well, we didn't know it at the time, but it was a matter of only, I guess, four or five months later that uh, you know, Trey joined Green Day. And But you can hear on that on particular song, uh, not only is Billy playing the guitar, well, actually, we're both playing the guitar. I, you know, for once in my life, I had, I played dueling lead guitars with Billy Joe Armstrong, although (laughs) it wasn't much of a duel, but at least we were both playing at the same time. Uh, But he's also singing on the backup vocals, uh, as am I. So I guess the two of us were harmonizing. What he just uh, started doing, he's down in New Orleans working at the Habitat for Humanity, building houses. That is news to me now. I had not heard that. I, uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, was talking about just visiting him out in California a couple months ago, but no, I this think is this obviously is more far, recent news. Way more recent, yeah, within the last week or so, which I think is pretty awesome in general, and maybe uh, it should motivate you to start doing something too, And since your book's under a bed somewhere and nothing else is going so on. So you think I should uh, take all my old... Uh, manuscripts and donate them to the flood refugees in New Orleans to make me like uh, it'll soak up shore, some of the water up the, yeah, yeah soak, you yeah. could do that too man I really didn't expect that conversation to come to such a close so I didn't have anything ready to play here are the smugglers with Larry <laughs>
Larry's actually about you and about Lookout, correct? Yeah, it seems that way. Um, okay. I, I was fairly flattered, actually. I know I walked, last time I saw the smugglers, I walked into a rather thinly populated bar in Sacramento, California, where they had come down to play for their first time in a, in a couple of years, and they were rather surprised to see me and played that song. I guess the, basically the song is about the practice I had of turning up and unexpected uh places and unexpected unexpected times all through throughout the whole time they knew me and then suddenly not being there anymore and also about uh i guess their how they got dis discovered by lookout i i.e me and uh how everything was going to be like fabulous and they were finally going to be on their way to to fame in the lower 48 um, but for some reason as it ends up in 1997, they were broke again, is that how it goes? So after that, I also played uh, Yelling in My Ear by Op Ivy off Energy, and I don't know if you've heard this either. It's just going to be re-released re and remastered under Rancid Records. So I wanted to see your thoughts on that and what your feelings are on the current state of Lookout, if there is a current state of Lookout. Mm, it's fairly hard to determine what's going on with Lookout now. It's... Uh... It's basically down to just sort of, I guess, a holding operation to try and keep what's left of it going. You know, obviously, I think it's very sad that Operation Ivy and, and Green Day and Screeching Weasel and the Queers and a whole lot of other great bands are no longer on lookout. And obviously, I feel especially bad because these are all bands that I that I signed and essentially right with the that's a part of you i mean anytime yeah. you sit there and you find something in a band and you invest your time and money into it so it's a big deal well it wasn't just that it was that these were all people that i knew personally and that well that's were, what i meant in by most cases i considered friends and that i made essentially a commitment to that look you know you guys i think you guys are great and i'm gonna put out your music and i'm gonna take care of you and I should clarify, that's what I meant by time. Time invested is them in people, not just time that you've spent, you know, working on the quote-unquote music business end of it. So, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, I, I do, I, I have spent some time stressing over this, and, you know, people are constantly saying to me, well, you know, look, it's not your fault, you're not, you know, you haven't had anything to do with Lookout for, for 10 years, and rationally, I can say, yeah, that's true. Legally, yes, that's true, but you know it's emotionally there's still ties uh, you know it's still well i got I, I really did when i left lookout in 97 i really did believe that it was going to carry on that it's always had and that they would you know treat the bands in the same way that they always had and uh, obviously i i couldn't see the future but i kind of i, I kind of wish that it had, had worked out differently obviously hmm. 
Let's play uh, The Vindictive's Ugly American and then a band from England that I really enjoy, Pickle Dick, and the <laughs> song is Extraterrestrial. Get past the name. It's worth it. Your family thinks that you're the best We know the 
Not too many people know that you actually founded the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Laboratory. Uh, laboratory, laboratory. Either way, that's not the focus of the I, question. I, re I realize they, they may pronounce that differently on the East Coast, but in California, where the, the lab is located, it is laboratory When there. you have the extensive environmental sciences background that I do, you can say laboratory. Oh, yeah, okay. It's also when it's your radio show, you can say... <laughs> I could say whatever I want. This is true. That's probably an un unfortunate name. I, I remember my, my mother... Uh, going at me when the first time I actually got some recognition in the newspaper saying, well, you finally do something like worth talking about and you do it under a different name. Mm -hmm. as, as, as most people will know, I was not born with the name Livermore. Um, I, I acquired it as a, a nickname as a result of this uh, bad science fiction novel I wrote in the 70s about a nuclear accident at the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. And uh, this girl at the time started calling me Lawrence Delivermore, or Lawrence, or just plain Lawrence Livermore, and it, gradually over the years it got stuck. And especially when, uh, at, on various occasions, when I kind of needed an alias anyway, uh, <laughs> like when I was doing the uh, Lookout magazine in the in the early days, and about half of the local population wanted to kill me, uh, it seemed like a good idea to have a slightly different name than. It I was also has that nice alliteration. Yeah, it was funny how things work out. You know, there was people would remark on there was all these L's involved in my life with mm. Lawrence Livermore and Leightonville, and then later London. 
um, and then the lookouts and lookout records. And well, that was all. It's, it's all about that that mountain scene. You know, the the lookout, the whole lookout thing came about because of right. the lookout tower that on the highest mountain up in our. But I just mean a lot of L's in general. Oh yeah, it was a. Uh, it was just one of those uh, little synchronicities, but. Uh, Excellent use of synchronicity, by the way. Okay. So, speaking of California, and uh, here's Brent's TV with bright lights. The night is dark. Just the most, and the surf 
demo tape I think we recorded that in 1985 you can kind of tell because the singer or one of the singers is uh, only 12 years old at the time that would be our drummer Mr. Trey Cool and his voice hadn't changed yet had a, an amazing voice I uh, I once uh, made him sing along with the piano and like he had like a about a nearly four octave range which wow. is like opera quality and then, of course, unfortunately, he reached puberty and uh, it was all lost. But he was he was quite a performer. I'm, I'm sorry sometimes that he doesn't get to sing more in Green Day. But that was uh, it's that was a Simple Tones cover from from uh, the old uh, Southern California band, and we kind of rewrote the lyrics to deal with our our hippie environment. It's pretty uh, well. We were pretty new to the whole business of playing music and uh, and recording, but. It was kind of a relic of a simpler age. So I'm basically out of questions, or out of questions that I'd like to ask. Well, so, then start an argument. That's, you can always do that. Up to you. You pick the topic. Johnny, I'm just I'm just glad to be here, um, here in Astoria, here in New York City. In Ill Street Studios, yes. And... Uh, I don't. I don't feel very argumentative oh, at, at all today. I, in a I, city that's so hectic and fast-paced, that's strange. That's. I, I find uh, New York very relaxing kind of place. It, it has a very small town quality to it. I mean, it's, how so? Well, I mean, I've, I've, it's funny that I found that about New York for the last few years. Ever, ever since like the since around the turn of the century, things just since it started feeling like a safer and uh, mm-hmm. more wholesome kind of place, it's just, you know, people stroll around. I mean, my, my, my experiences in New York in the 60s and the 70s when, when it was like people getting stabbed and shot all over the place, it was like everybody was in a hurry. Everybody was like, you know... Looking over your shoulder because you were all, Yeah, and like you don't want to, you know, stare, you know, even look, uh, risk like catching somebody's eye because, you know, they might be after you. So it's like everybody is just head down and just... Like a bunch of, uh, you know, cockroaches or rats, like, you know, burrowing right through to where they got to go as fast as possible. And now it's kind of like a lot of times it feels almost like this, you know, strolling on the village green and and saying hi to your friends and relaxing. And I don't know about the village green part, but I kind of agree that it's it's so safe and comfortable that you can just be in your own head and I'll tell you what's so so weird where I used to, to live on the Lower East Side and, you know, and there was just like blood on us on a pavement half the time and 
you know, you were just like it was. It was scary. I mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating. And no. people were there. Well, well, well. And I mean that a lot of that even continued through the '80s. And yeah, well, I think it 90s, got worse. It got so. worse in the '80s. Luckily, I wasn't here for most of that. But uh, now you see like these people sitting out there two o'clock in the morning on their on their uh, on their stoop, uh, you know, typing away on their laptops and the, yeah. you know, like that, that's crazy. You went to like. Uh, I understand. I mean, it's it's great. It, it's a very communal feel of strangers. So that's why I don't know if I see it as a small town. Not ever really having lived in a small town, I can't judge. Well, but you're, you're always bumping into people, you know. Like like uh, that's I'm, true. I'm going uptown to the Bronx to see a to, to see a punk rock show, and you know, part of town I've never actually been in before. And here comes you know one stop. Here comes somebody I know, and mm-hmm. here comes another stop. And there's another somebody else I know gets on the train. We're all just. You know, I know I'm kind of romanticizing it because uh, you know I'm sort of I'm sort I'm sort of new in town and like like my niece lives here and she's always saying, well, you just wait till you actually have to to live here long term and live through a, a lousy New York winter and you know and all this. Uh, but I compare it to London, where I've been for the last ten years, and you know, it's a city of a similar size and a mm-hmm. similar importance in the world, and yet London is tense. Uh, London is aggro, and New York is is just a lot nicer. That's fair, I think. I mean, I've only spent a few days in London, but um, I I don't even necessarily agree about the New York winters or the hot summers. I think you're going to get, you know, a mix of everywhere unless you want to live in San Diego. But anything else you want to close this out right here, right now? I'm I'm all I'm all right with with that. I'm uh, I've been in a really uh, kind of reflective and sentimental mood lately, I I guess, because I got I got interviewed earlier this week with some. Some guys. See, we're small potatoes over here, people. I'm sorry. I get, I, we no, have to this take is, this place is, second no, this fiddle. No, this is the real deal here. This is like some some uh, journalist was is doing a book about the Bay Area punk scene from 1977 to the present, and he uh, he interviewed me at great lengths. But this is this is way different because he was uh, he was he's a journalist. He's not he was not somebody that like made the scene happen. That was part of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you and the a lot of the people we know here in New York, you're making things happen. That's 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 a whole different. Always a good idea to suck up to the hosts, people. Uh, Always a good idea. I'm not getting paid, people. <laughs> but uh, you know, only reason I mention it is because that's that's kind of had me reflecting, and you know, and also this is a, a milestone year for me. I got a big birthday coming up. I'm gonna I'm gonna be 60 years old later on this year. And congratulations. Uh, well, not yet. I haven't made it, but well, uh, it's it's not kind of a you know. I find myself taking stock and uh, looking looking back at all sort of all of the different kind of musical scenes and different kinds of experiences and things that I've seen and sort of take your breath away at times to see like just how much has happened and how fast Absolutely. It, it all all happened and all all went away. And you know, one one thing I I, I think a lot about is uh, what what it was like for me here in rock and roll and doo-wop and that kind of stuff for the very first time as a little kid mm-hmm. you know i'm one of the I'm, i guess i'm old enough to you know remember when when it when rock and roll itself not just punk rock but rock and roll started and i, I have this image of myself like this little six seven year old kid like leaning up against the radio so we didn't even have tv yet where i would say this big old radio set in the middle of the living room and i would like fall asleep with my head against the speaker and the first time i heard a a doo-wop song uh, and it just like cut through the, the fog and it's like you know a whole new world's being born this is like 1954 hmm. or something it was uh earth angel by the penguins i know the so song well i always had a, a real fondness for for doo-wop it's, available it's like, on the triple bypass seven inch by the way a horrific cover it's uh the thing is you know 
to me, doo-wop and and pop punk they just like got some elements just totally oh, absolutely in common and i guess that's all leading up to uh the idea that the way know, to- i see it it's always been when people ask me you know what did you listen to or what would you be listening to if you weren't listening to pop punk primarily it's basically the 50s and 60s pop rock and roll because it's the same three chord kind of thing but pop punk's just sped up i'll tell you a funny thing about doo-wop a whole time when i was a little kid and i would I'd hear all these great songs in the 1950s of these doo-wop artists and i always had this image of them it was like these these uh, uh italian guys like there was like mm-hmm. uh that hung out on a street corner like yeah. by my house anthony mazzola and his uh his little cronies that would stand out there by the drugstore and uh, combing their hair, and they would harmonize. And I thought, that's what all those, those are all like these Italian guys. Like, and It was like not until I was completely grown up, like many, many years later, I realized that the great majority of these guys were, were black. I had no mm-hmm. idea. I mean, that's the kind of sheltered life I, I led in the 50s. Well, with no television, and I mean, that wasn't something that radio really wanted to tell you. It was considered black music or no, devil back in, music, so they wouldn't even play it. Of so, course, back then, they often would uh, re-record the songs with white artists that, oh, yeah. that black artists Absolutely. had first had. But I, anyway, I, I say I say all of this about doo-wop to, to lead up to the fact that I guess is my... I'm going to... I have a song to say goodbye with, and I think it is called So Long Goodbye or something like that. It's from... Uh, Good goodbye. It's from it's from a very obscure uh, collection of uh, early '60s doo-wop groups, and it's it's called Back to Brooklyn. And I say it say that because that's where I'm going now, back to Brooklyn. And it's been a real pleasure to spend the afternoon here in Queens. Well, but got to get back to Brooklyn to the inferior borough. Uh, before we actually play that song, as always, it's www.woorecords.com and questions, concerns, comments, wo at gmail. Uh, and here is the Bob Knight Four, not to be confused with the Indi- former Indiana head coach. So long. So, so long. I must go. It's time to leave. 
Oh, my darling. <laughs> <laughs> 